Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by awesome co-host this week, Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Always glad to be here. And Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing pretty fantastic. And this week we are talking about Yoku's Island Express. This game is darling. It really is. I am so so I am so glad I finally got a pinball game that I could force my co-hosts to play on this show. This has been an issue in the past. I love pinball. If you go all the way back to episode 42 of the short game, uh, back in 2015, you can hear me rant about how much I like pinball. Uh, but at the time, I was trying to get you guys to play uh, Rollers of the Realm, a RPG uh, pinball hybrid, which is brilliant, by the way. I- to be fair, we would at the time, we would have had to boot into Windows to play a game that was a very odd sell. This game came out on Switch, which I think is why we all were like, yes, let's please play Yoku's Island Express. It's a pinball game for the Switch. It's super neat and it's a it's a pinball metroidvania an open world pinball game and if that sounds bizarre to you it did to me as well and that's sort of part of the pitch of this game the developers uh, in an interview that i read said that they they kind of jokingly came up with the idea of let's do an open world pinball game and they liked the way that sounded so much that they just sort of kept chipping away at it until they figured out a way to make that an actual thing. And this is a totally unique game. I don't think I've ever, ever played anything like it. Yeah, it's like they're saying, oh, let's do a, uh, a platformer, but you can't jump in it. How do we make that work? What if every time you fell in a hole, it was a tunnel with a bunch of pinball elements in it? And then you could kind of... <laughs> pinball whack yourself back up to wherever you needed to be it's kind of hard to describe exactly how this works but i mean yeah laura that basically does it like it's it's a it's a metroidvania game in that it has an open map Uh, i think what sort of defines a metroidvania to me is that it's a platformer usually this kind of counts as this is a platformer but it only kind of counts as a platformer in the way that it's designed but a, uh, a a platformer that has a single continuous map it's not composed of stages it's one continuous map that you can explore as if it were a sort of a whole world and uh the other sort of thing that sort of defines a metroidvania for me is that that's sort of gated in various ways your progress through that world is gated by items that you have to collect and those items aren't just keys for doors they are useful functional items that serve multiple purposes sometimes for combat sometimes for opening doors or or you know overcoming other sorts of obstacles and so this checks those boxes this is a metroidvania but it is unlike any metroidvania that i've ever played before yeah, a couple we've covered on the podcast are uh, Axiom Verge, we've covered Guacamelee, we've covered Ori I wish and the we'd Blind Planet. Axiom Verge. We never got to do an episode on that. That game rules. We did a half episode on it. Yeah. But That's I right. think that I think it's really a novel twist on it because we don't tend to cover too many of them because Metrovadias end up being pretty long. Yep. I'm fifty um, hours deep into uh into Hollow Knight right now. <laughs> yeah. Because Anything where you have to keep backtracking and re-exploring naturally has to be longer than something where you experience it once. But this game has a twist that really it's as long as how bad at pinball you are. <laughs> well, if you are really bad at pinball, I don't think this game is going to take most people yeah. very long to complete. Um, Absolutely not. I, I think it's, it's really well-paced and it doesn't overstay its welcome at all. It, I think mm-hmm. it's kind of aware that it has a, uh, you know, a hook and gameplay uh, conceit that maybe wouldn't stretch to be the you know the next uh, eighty hour Metroidvania, um, but it's really really well suited to the sort of length that it has around five to eight hours is my kind of estimation for it. Yeah, and there are things that could take that, not just not being great at uh, pinball, but uh, like you know most good uh, Metroidvanias, there's also additional content things you can find. Um, some power-ups and things that can take you to different places that you don't seem to need to beat the game, but just expand the world for you more. Yeah, optional objectives and collectibles, and also some sort of post-game stuff uh, that would, if you do complete the game and kind of want to continue on with it, it has some uh, interesting post-game stuff that mostly involves like trying to try interesting tricks that you might not have tried during the main game. Um, 
I kind of want to talk a little bit about just how this how this idea of like a pinball metroidvania articulates a little bit. Like Laura mentioned that it's sort of about falling into pits that have bumpers in it, which is a kind of a way to put it. But basically, you play as Yoku. Yoku is a tiny little dung beetle, and he rolls around a ball, uh, not of dung, fortunately. It doesn't appear to be dung. It appears to be sort of a pinball. He's got like a golf ball on a leash. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out what it was because it se- he is doing the thing that dung beetles do, but with... A nice smooth ball, but I thought for sure it must be poop. So I had to really examine it before. I'm like, no, I guess it's not poop. I don't think it's poop. He's very cute though. Uh, it never actually calls him a dung beetle. It, he is a he is a beetle, uh, according to the text. And he's there. He's come to this island called uh, Mokumana. Uh, Mokumana is this very sort of stereotypical tropical island, kind of in its vibe, um, but it's populated entirely by animals and other creatures. And he's come to take over the mail route there. He's a postman, and he's floated into the island to relieve the existing postman, uh, who was named Post-Pterodactyl, and was a pterodactyl. And I was like, oh, that's good. I like that very much. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, he's, uh, he's taking over the mail route. But as soon as he arrives, he discovers that things are going wrong on Mokumana, and the island's god which is basically a giant animal. Like, I don't know what he's supposed to be. Kind of a weird creature with tentacles and a flappy whale mouth. A tropical chimera, (laughs) basically. Yeah. That was Uh, getting worse and worse the more you described it. Yeah. It's cute, actually. Yeah, it's not it, disgusting. It it's a little cute. It's not Cthulhu. No, he's kind of kind of like a reverse Cthulhu. He's like cute, and the tentacles are on bottom. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> that is, that's reverse uh, Cthulhu. Yeah, um, but he's still gigantic, and he's still the god of this tropical island. Mm-hmm. And he's suffering from some kind of... Uh, he's got this green glowing scar on his face that was put there by the God Slayer. And I was like, what? That's a little odd. <laughs> That's a straight. The stakes here are, can you deliver the mail on time? And, or there's no timer. Can you just, can you deliver the mail? And also, can you rescue a God from a character called the God Slayer? <laughs> it's wildly divergent stakes. Yeah. <laughs> and they set it up so funny too, because I, I feel like, um, I don't know, maybe it's just because the Metroidvanias that we've played, um, they're often covering a lot of like heavy stuff or like they're very intense. Um, I'm thinking of also like Swapper and things like that. Like they're either combat or they're like really heavy puzzle. In this one, you roll a little ball in and it's like, hey, you're here to deliver the mail. I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. Everything is so colorful. It's very, very light and fun. And then, yeah, within like, Another five minutes that are like, oh, also the God Slayer. Uh, <laughs> but that, that sort that. of that's mostly in the background for most of the game. You know, yeah. it's still it's still like, well, you you're obviously the postman bug is going to rescue us all from the God Slayer by delivering letters. And it's mm-hmm. very cute. Uh, and so the way that you're actually playing this out minute to minute is, uh, you know, you're rolling your pinball around the world and a lot of the landscape resembles a typical uh, platformer, except obviously Yoku can't jump or he certainly can't pull his ball up over ledges. So uh, the landscape is littered with pinball bumpers and they're all either blue or orange and blue uh, are your left trigger on your controller and orange are your right trigger on your controller. And so you've got that traditional left, right trigger bumper or flipper mechanic uh, that you'd have from your typical uh, pinball game. But here, rather than just being at the bottom of your table, they are littering the landscape, and you can flip them anytime Yoku rolls over them. And you control him with the stick, and then you can flip him into the air or up and down using the bumpers. Yeah, and One there the might most- be several on screen at the same time, either blue or orange, or some of them are both colors, and any button will press it. Um, which is fun sometimes just to hit all the buttons at the same time and see all the flippers go at the same time. Be like, I don't know how to manage what's in front of me, but I'll figure it out slowly. Yep. One of the things I found most charming is unlike say golf story, which we just played, this is not a game where people are constantly making pinball jokes or talking about how (laughs) crazy it is that the world just happens to be a pinball machine. This Island just takes it as a given that it's covered in, they don't even call them bumpers, but 
you know, jump points. They they don't even they don't give them names. They don't even name them. I don't think it's it's as if nobody can see them except you, the the godlike (laughs) pinball bumper guy who's helping Yoku out. No one else is a tiny uh, little dung beetle that can only very slowly roll a ball across a flat surface and can't jump. So in terms of like the pinball mechanics, you've got like you you can roll uh, the ball left and right, which in in a sense kind of feels like when when you're playing the more pinball like stages in the game, that kind of feels like your tilt on a pinball machine or on a pinball video game. You usually have a, a tilt that sort of simulates slightly tilting the machine one way or the other. You can do that. But in this case, it's Yoku pushing on the ball. Um, obviously you've got the bumpers and then Yoku has one other kind of verb in the game, which I thought was super charming, which is that he's supposed to have a postal horn, but he doesn't for some reason. And early in the game, you get equipped with a party, uh, noisemaker, the kind that you blow into. Yeah, and I was going to try to do it too, but I realized I out. cannot make that noise. It's hysterical to play this just casually next to somebody because they hear pinball noises for a good 15, 20 minutes, and then they keep hearing a party, little party, party horn going off over and, and over. And when you blow it off, you see tiny little bits of confetti go everywhere. Yeah. Most of the time, you just use that to like get the attention of the NPC characters, or uh, there's a few places where you blow it off to like uh, turn a little pinwheel. It's not super important in terms of like game mechanics, but it is really charming to be able to do. Yeah, and also, though, the game... So there's a lot of things that are hidden, or you can break with it. Uh, real classic video gamey things, like there's jars that you can break uh, that will have fruit in them. Fruit is sort of the currency of the game, which we'll talk about the points of the game. And sometimes they're very hidden, though. Little things that break, or there's, like, special th- uh, collectibles that you're searching for. So in a way, you're incentivized to be blowing this horn all the time. All the time. And uh, checking to see if things are secrets or not. Yeah, uh, Jamie so- did not love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that's what, what I was said, getting yeah, to. Justin was like, what are you doing? <laughs> I know, because it is. It'd be, like, nice pinball, but then you're like, okay, I think there's something secret. Just as you're like... Well, it, was like it was like Vuvuzelas at the World Cup. It's like... <laughs> oh, yeah. So I think they... I mean, that had to come up in like playtesting, right? That like you're just going nuts on this horn. It doesn't and matter. They, it's very funny. <laughs> it's really funny, but I feel like they probably put it in not thinking that you would... That was the original a, a point. Like sometimes people are going to be blasting this. It's like, yeah, they'll use it sporadically. It's cute and it's funny. And then we're all like, no, I want to min-max find everything. Comes <laughs> back around because after the first thirty hits, it's suddenly hilarious again. So and that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's so stupid. <laughs> it's so it's really charming. The pinball mechanics yeah. are really uh, solid. They're a little simplified. So as a kind of a pinball nerd, um, this doesn't have like a lot of fancy shots or fancy pinball tricks or anything. It's actually pretty straightforward in terms of its pinball mechanics. Um, and something that I think it does, it's very smart and very subtle is that a lot of the time, certain bumpers, it's pinball physics are pretty, pretty natural. It really feels like rolling a ball around. It feels like sort of natural pinball physics, but it's less chaotic than actual pinball. Um, so for example, you know, there's might be a bumper that's clearly been put in a particular split place to bump you up from one level of the landscape up to the next. Right. And, uh, if that were a real pinball on a real platform, probably knowing myself six out of 10 times, I would try to bump that ball in the correct direction and it would go totally wild because physics is weird. Um, here, many of the bumpers, not all seem to have sort of kind of predetermined physics. So you'll like bump Yoku's ball from a particular uh, pinball bumper and it has a very reliable, it's going to land you over there, but not all of them. And it's not something where that, that feels um, unreliable or weird. It just feels natural. It's like, Oh, of course the player intended to bump the ball over there and that's where it went. Whereas when you're doing things with the flippers, you have a little more fine grained control and trying to aim is, is possible. Yeah, I think so. It's absolutely predetermined because I actually did some like tests where I'd go like real fast and go real slow. And some, some of the bumpers were bumping me exactly the same, no matter how I hit them and when I hit them. Um, But I, and I think there's a distinction as far as I can tell, there's 
any of the bumpers that are um, like cylindrical rounded on both sides, uh, that's what they're going to do. They're going to hit you basically the same way every time you As hit it. The flippers. Then there's yeah. flippers. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, like the, the paddles that you're used to from pinball. Those are the ones that react like normal pinball. You know, if you hit it right at the end, it's going to go like almost horizontally right and up from there. Um, so you're right. The it, it does make it. Tra- it makes traversing the map pretty seamless. Like it th- in a game where you would think like, oh my god, I have to flip myself everywhere I'm going. That's not really true. Yeah, it main- sounds like that'd be like terribly yeah. frustrating because I mean, I know in a pinball table, I have a really hard time putting the ball in a specific place that I want it, and in a pi- in a platformer, I want to be able to put that character exactly where I want to put that character. Yeah, and you can still do it's- that here. It's well, it's well thought out in that way. It's a really lovely way to control the pace as well, because a lot of the little bumpers that are predetermined are when you're trying to traverse the landscape, go up levels, uh, kind of move between sections. And a lot of the pure pinball machine pieces are literally you enter a tunnel or you fall down a pit, you kind of opt in, and then you're in a contained pinball world where you are trying to you know, uh, release different gates Something I really appreciate is that on physical pinball machines, I won't see 99% of a fantastic board. Like, I love the Adams Family game, for example. I've played it, sunk probably 50 bucks worth of quarters into that machine. I have seen Cousin It's hand move once. <laughs> There's so much in that game that you don't see based on how you play. And an average physical pinball round is what? A if you're good, maybe a minute. Yeah. I don't think I've ever managed to play for more than a minute. In yeah, real but life. This game is so forgiving. Um, not in a bad way. So you were talking about getting into the, uh, like the predetermined things like the, sh- like the pinball machinery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me some feeling, um, to like Sonic when you in Sonic, when you get yourself into sort of like this thing, that's going to automate you to the next part of the map. Um, and it feels really good, like good momentum. This game does that a lot. Um, generated by pinballs, but there's a lot of nice, fun, free-flowing movement. That There's no stakes. You just get to kind of enjoy the ride, which is a ton of fun. That is really yeah, you fun. You kind of whip around a given area for a while because you're traversing it weirdly like a tiny Metrovania inside of Metrovania as a pinball machine because you're just kind of going up the stream four paths over and over and over again. But then you bust out and you're just flipping through the map. It's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, that's totally a great point. Like sometimes you have these, these self-contained areas that I like, for example, there's an area where you have to kind of climb a, lo- a tall tower and that tower is made up of what are essentially little pinball tables. And there are little locked gates between the pinball tables. So in order to get from layer one to layer two to layer three, each of which is kind of its own self-contained pinball layout, um, you have to complete some objectives. And most of the time what that plays out as is hit this one thing and it will spew some little gems all over the pinball table. Then you have to hit each one of those. Um, Maybe do that a couple of times and you'll unlock the door, which gives you a kind of a shortcut from where you started that pinball table up into the next pinball table. So you're constantly unlocking little shortcuts in between these areas that are kind of little locked down pinball tables. But once you've sort of completed whatever the objective for that pinball table is, uh, then usually it unlocks in such a way that you can then mostly bypass that pinball table if you need to traverse that area again later. I was really concerned when I first heard the idea of pinball Metroidvania that like a big part of a Metroidvania is you have to go from place to place on the map, sometimes back and forth, sometimes several times. Um, and that that would be really frustrating if you had to play the same pinball tables again and again and again to get from point A to point B. And you do have to do that somewhat but it's not nearly as frustrating as it seemed initially or like I thought I yeah. worried it might be. Yeah. The door out, like the shot you have to make to get out of the pinball table is usually one of the easiest shots of the table. So like the, the hard part is doing all the unlocking, but once it's unlocked as, as long as you can hit a pretty easy shot, uh, then you'll get out. And if you miss, they even usually have it where if you miss, it's going to wrap you back around mm-hmm. real fast and give you another shot. So you can like just keep shooting until you get out. Cause yeah, you they're very well planned little mini tables. Yeah. Something about all of that, that, that I really, the thing that makes this game work and I'm going to compare it a little bit to um, rollers of the realm, which is, this is the only two games in all of existence that I think have ever gotten this idea correct or right. You know, it is that, 
pinball is a universally fun thing to do, right? Like, I think almost anybody in the world, if you put them in front of a pinball table, they may not understand or care about the score, but there is something just fun about hitting the ball around with the little bumpers and buttons. It's just a fun physical thing to do. That's, it's endlessly fun. But the thing, the reason that people don't play pinball constantly, the reason that, that pinball is kind of a niche thing is that to enjoy pinball on anything other than just that like, oh, hey, that was physically fun for a minute and now I'm done kind of level. Uh, you know, any game has to have goals and it has to communicate those goals to you and it has to give you some kind of idea about, okay, what do I do next in order to make progress towards my goal? Pinball is garbage at that. You know, pinball has, and that's mostly just because pinball came from a time before you could put a tutorial in and before you could change the board constantly. It had to be a fixed set of widgets and stuff. And if you look up the details on how to beat uh, or, you know, how to get get lots of points on that Adams family pinball table that Laura was talking about, you have to do these incredibly complex kind of arcane things that the table doesn't really communicate to you. And this game takes the fun physicality of pinball and puts it into a setting where you always know what your goal is. You know, I want to go from here to there. And it does an amazing job of communicating to you what you have to do to get there. Even if you're locked into something that's essentially a tiny little pinball table where you have to do pinball trick shots for a little while, you know why you're doing them, you know what you're trying to hit and where, and it's going to unlock that door when you're, you know, collected all the little widgets. So that is brilliant. It's like so many great companies have spent a lot of time simulating pinball. Even pinball platformers, things like the Kirby pinball games and stuff, they, they just they focus so hard on simulating pinball that they forget that like a video game can communicate goals to you that a pinball table can't. This game does a brilliant job there. Well, one of the superpowers of this game and one of the reasons why that uh, vocabulary share works so well is that it's not locked into a single table. Mm-hmm. It's not a single table that needs to unfold over time and keep showing you tricks. They can keep showing you different tables. So they can teach little pieces of the vocabulary over time. So later on in the game, four hours in, you're actually playing a fairly complex table with a lot of different lights, a lot of different things, you know, the traditional switches you have to hit. You might have to collect five purple things to unlock a barrier, but you've been taught very slowly over time on smaller mini tables what those are. So by the time you get into a boss fight or an end level situation, you're not questioning, oh, what is this little thing turning when I hit a flipper? Oh, I have to light it up four times and then a bonus goes. You know that by now. Pinball tables in reality don't tend to teach you that because they have to reveal all of their tricks at once or you have to play the game for more than a minute to start seeing it. So it becomes really difficult to track what the light vocabulary is. Here yeah, it's all yeah. in one self-contained table. Yeah, it can have whole whole throwaway uh, tables that are just there to teach you s- some tiny little trick. I, I love that about it. And, and it yeah. builds on that so brilliantly. I also think um, besides that, that like as someone who's really bad at pinball, um, one thing that like I reason I don't play pinball other than being bad at it is, is that because I'm bad at it, it's a short experience that's like not really fun, right? Mm-hmm. I probably put in, uh, you know, a dollar or whatever. I am unable to keep the balls uh, from the pit for more than like a minute, and there goes my dollar, and the whole thing is done, back to zero. Everything has to restart. Whereas this game, like the stakes of messing up the pinball shot, are virtually non-existent. That's you, true. If you, yeah. If you go through the uh, paddles. But sometimes the worst thing that could happen is if you're doing a stack of pinball tables and you have to accomplish each one. Um, and if you fall down, like you fall down to the bottom table, but yeah, you, you might lose some progress, but it's progress, not, but it's usually not, not even a ton. Yeah, no, it's a very little. And the only other thing that can happen to you is that you fall through spikes and you get uh, you lose like three fruit. That's yeah, um, really minor. amount. It's of really minor. Fruit. And you're. After a little while in the game with fruit, you know, you're dealing in the hundreds. So losing three is is not much. So it allows you to like, I don't know, I'm not really great at pinball, but I was not punished for being bad. And it's not hard enough where you're not going to 
not get it, if that makes sense. Like, I think you could have never played a pinball game, and you could beat this game. Absolutely. Um, because of how forgiving it is, how diverse it is, um, and how, how it teaches you its mechanics. It's really, really clever, uh, and it's a ton of fun. So we've talked a lot about how the pinball works, but not necessarily how the pinball combines with the Metroidvania. And something I found really silly and goofy and weird is how uh, we've talked about, you know, the gates in Metroidvania. There's some kind of gated element. This game is so bizarre in the way that they make a traditional gating thing just really weird. For example, one of the first things you do is you get the power to basically bust open what in other games might be rocks or gates. And in this one, it's a slug you suck up with a vacuum that gets stuck on your ball that then you bust open a slug nest. Yeah, exploding slugs. Those are, yeah, all of the upgrades, there actually are very few of them compared to your average Metroidvania. Uh, I can really only think of three main kind of mobility upgrades that you get throughout the game, but each one unlocks like a lot of additional, you know, area that you can get to. But the slugs, like, all of them are weird. The slugs are very weird. You hit these slug nests, and these horrible-looking red angry slugs pop out. And then you roll over the slugs, they stick to your ball, and eventually the slugs get so angry that they Well, you have to hit them with the vacuum, which actually... Suck them with the vacuum and they scream. I I do want to talk about that, too, because I think it's another clever way... It's a really awesome mechanic, and it makes it enjoyable and... uh, and accessible is that there your skills are often tied around mid pinball jump being able to press one of the triggers to trigger something so like for this one the slug they're usually up in the board somewhere you're rarely just like walking up on them so you've had to have made a shot up to it once you get close the ball you and the ball slow down really oh, yeah. slow it's like and bullet it time makes a slugs. really yeah it's bullet it's like bullet time and it makes a super obvious noise because i sometimes have a hard time like even following the ball um which is part of why i'm bad at real pinball uh video game pinball it's a little bit better but like so if you're not even following it, you can hear the sound of like it's time to do that action as long as you press the trigger in time it'll happen and every one of these things, it's almost like a quick time event almost, except for you're preparing it. I don't think that's the right word for it, but um, it's so forgiving. Like, even if you miss it, you're probably going to get another shot. But that bullet time, if I had to, like, time everything when the ball is going super fast off of uh, off the paddle and having to hit Z in like a half a second when it passes something, I probably would not have enjoyed it. But this game, it's like, it's more fun than it is a skill shot. And I think that's great. It's a a super fun little mechanic too, because there's kind of a timer on the slugs. And usually you need the slugs in order to bust down a barrier. So you just need to sort of like get the slug onto your ball. And then before the slug explodes of its own accord, you need to hit into one of these explodable barriers to unlock something. But you can also just use them for fun little mobility mechanic stuff that's like often for secrets. So the slug is attached to one side of your ball. You can roll your ball into a position where the slug is kind of aiming you in the direction you want to go so that when the slug timer finally goes off and it explodes, it launches your ball. It's kind of a way to set up like jumps that the game doesn't have bumpers for. And I really enjoyed doing that because occasionally there'd be like secrets in places that you can see but can't actually get to as part of the regular pinball bumper setup. And you could collect a slug, then roll to a different screen. And if your slug was still on you, you could use it to jump and get something that you couldn't get otherwise. Yeah, some of the more challenging shots in the game are that actually, because they'll put it like the timer, they'll put the secret right at the distance of the, so you have to like get the slug, get it and get over to the thing. And then position it just right. And it's really those tables that use the slug switch is most of them. Um, but like the ones where you have to time it later is the only time in this game that I felt like stress about the thing that I was doing. Everything else is like just free flowing and fun. But when there's that little slug there and it's clicking down and you know you got to get over and, and aim just right. it It's a little bit of like a classic platformer feel of like, ah! and then either you nail it or you don't. There's a couple other like really fun uh, mobility upgrades that you get. I think the next one that comes along is the beeline. And I loved the beeline. It's like, it's the fast travel system of the game. And it's a really clever twist on a fast travel system. Um, 
rather than just going from point A to point B instantaneously, uh, you get kind of launched from point A to point B. It really reminded me of like the barrels in Donkey Kong Country where you kind of yeah, totally. shoot from one to the next to the next to the next. But in this case, it's not totally automatic. Uh, you control, you you know, jump into one barrel and then you shoot to the next or you aim and shoot to the next or you aim and shoot to the next. But at any of those points, you can drop out of the barrel, which lets you kind of get to places that are in between those fast travel points uh, really quickly as well and opens up areas that might be annoying to get to otherwise. Yeah, you know, and that also um, makes me think of something that's really cool about this game is that, and I, it's not the only Metroidvania to do this, but the entire game is one screen with no, like, loading or anything in between any part of it. And so this beeline can fling you all the way across top to bottom from the entire map, or there may be times where you, like, fall off something and just roll because you also are a ball. And you fall from like one big part of the map that you uh, are working on now down to something from like, you know, an hour ago when you were playing. Uh, And you have to like make your way back up. But because of all that stuff we were talking about before about unlocking, it's not too difficult to get back to where you are. The map can feel huge, but you can traverse it pretty fast. But with the beeline, um, once he's, I definitely recommend un- unlocking as many of those as possible. Yeah, and it's literally called the beeline because they're little beehives that you're jumping between, and they all make this little buzzing sound. And it has special music for while you're on the beeline. It's very fun. Yeah, I, I loved the beeline. Did you guys find the, the like mother bee or queen bee? Yeah, and I, I had did. to deliver a package to her, but I can't find a bee suit in order to do it. <laughs> I, I think you have to get a. Um, it's one of the up. There's cosmetic upgrades you can get for your ball. Yeah, the bling one, the gold one. I don't know which one it is that will fool the bee yeah. into thinking you're a bee. Maybe it's. I didn't even. I didn't. I try. definitely I haven't thought about it, it but I didn't. That's try some post game stuff that I'm going to go back for later. <laughs> I think that the bee line is one of my favorite things in the entire game. I especially love when occasionally it shoots you, and you have to bounce off the side of buildings before you land back into the bee line. Like it just decided you were going to just bounce off the side of a building because they rather would not put another bee line stop there. Yeah, it's a good thing that what what happens if you're a beeline attendant that isn't a big rock Bouncy that bounces ball. off of things. There's like you just get squashed these, on the side of a building. Yeah, there's like a bunch of squashed frogs just like stuck on the side of the wall or like ferrets or whatever. I'm trying to think what animal this game. The every every choice this game makes is so like very whimsical, funny and whimsical. Yeah. Uh, the other big upgrades that you get are the dive fish which is basically a fish that kind of bites your butt and like that it's flippy flipper lets you dive underwater. There's lots of water in the game. Yeah, I mean, how else are you expected to swim? Yeah, yeah, you kind of like go like into mermaid mode. You partially suck your ball into its mouth and then yeah. you can control its tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and how swimming works. That one's pretty simple and easy to understand, but my favorite uh, mobility upgrade in the game uh, is the sootling on a leash. So you get this leash, and then you use that leash to grab a sootling. There's these little, like, um, kind of nuisance animals in the uh, in the world of Yoku's Island. Very Ghibli. Yeah, very much so. And uh, oh yeah, the whole game. And there are special points on the on the map that are carnivorous plants. And so the mobility mechanic is you kind of jump towards or flip yourself towards one of these carnivorous plants. Then you throw your sootling into its mouth, and it gets eaten or not eaten, but, you know, chewed on, I guess, by this carnivorous plant. Meanwhile, you are sort of swinging around it on a little, uh, like a lasso or, you know, you kind of have this, it's like a, it's like a rope swing kind of mechanic. Um, it's a silly way of presenting that, but it's also like, what I really liked about this was like, this is a great example of a, of a mechanic that feels very pinball while not being something that could ever be accomplished in physical pinball. Um, yeah, you know, like the, great point. the, uh, the slugs, they're really cool. And of course you could never accomplish that on an actual pinball table either, unless you trained exploding slugs to do that for you. But the, uh, the, the leash mechanic, just the, the spinning physics of it really felt very pinball-y to me, even though I was like, well, but there's never been a pinball game that did this. It just felt like pinball. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how else it's to timing. It. Well, it's, it's timing a thing based off of like where it is and it's on the screen and momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Only with this, you're pressing, you're, you're letting go of the button to determine the path. Uh, whereas with 
pinball paddles, you're waiting for like the perfect thing to line up and then you're pressing the button, right? Yeah, but you're right. It's still very timing based. It's about like, it's like, it's like when you swing a little, like something around on a cord and then you let it go at just the right moment to fling it in the right direction. You're doing that with your pinball. It just feels great to do because you get these, these like great arcs where you can just fling that ball really far distances. I really, really like that upgrade. Uh, I really appreciate that you have something that gives you that fling, that huge traversal mechanic that is very important in a Metroidvania, but it's not like a double jump or a dash. It's not something we've seen before because it's combining with pinball for kind of a very fresh take. I mean, this is a very strange game, but it feels very natural when you're playing it. It doesn't feel shoehorned in, which... I think that I'm surprised. I'm, I think it's that is the most amazing surprising. thing about yeah. this game. Is like it it's feels good. It's just a. It's like it's a. It's a game that on the face of it sounds absurd, and yet as soon as you start playing it, you're like, oh, okay, I get how this works, and it just makes sense. It just feels right. And for you doubters out there, there is a demo of this game for free on on Ooh, Steam. Yeah. So we've been talking about the Switch version, but if you think there's no way this could work, try the demo out. Yeah, I mean, I it, it's crazy because I've already said it a couple times that I have found like regular pinball to be like a stressful experience. This game is like the opposite of that. I have found this to be like On island a sad time, man. Yeah, it's like a satisfying. <laughs> it's like a satisfying relaxate like relaxing pinball, which is crazy. Even though we must remind you. You're trying to defeat the God Slayer. <laughs> Which I forget about quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, because it really, it's, it seems it, like incidental that there's Guys, a God no Slayer, spoilers, but... but the final boss battle is like very climactic. I, I loved, the, the, the final boss battle draws in a bunch of, uh, of like mechanics that you've kind of seen before, including like multi-ball and uh, like uh, freezing mechanics where you have to... Uh, constantly hit something to kind of break it open like it's you've seen all the mechanics in the final boss battle before but it feels very climactic it's it's super silly and it's really fun i I thought it was super good so we've talked or we've mentioned throughout this entire episode sort of the uniqueness of the world and the design style and i think it carries through the entire game and its art um this game you are moving through things really fast but if you just kind of take even a moment to stop and look at the um, surroundings look at the design look at the weird creatures and the entire world it's a really beautiful game Um, and all the character design is really interesting as well it's beautifully hand painted Um, the animation is also pretty good and interesting and something I found really funny about it um, it, I don't want this to sound like I'm kind of giving it a, a like short shrift here because it is it is a well animated game they clearly put a lot of thought and effort into like taking these beautiful hand painted drawings of these interesting looking creatures and giving them a little life by having them move mostly they're not like doing apart from yoku himself and he's a tiny ant rolling a ball um they're not doing a lot of active moving around but all of the characters have some life to them they're all kind of moving a little bit or sometimes they'll wave or they'll you know they're breathing they're doing a little bit of basic movement um, it felt a little bit like a flash animation kind of style to me because you see that style where somebody's done a single really good illustration and then is kind of using sort of like digital puppetry essentially to move it around. As someone who did some beautiful flash games, yes, I can totally see that. I don't <laughs> think it's unfair. Like there is a, it is definitely not the flash art style where things have a really rough shadowing like of a faux 3D. Yeah, no, this not is that. definitely a really nice 2.5D platformer where there's some depth to things. There's a lot of shadow, a lot of good use of light, but it is essentially flat. Uh, it's a, it's not a 3D in any way. I thought it was very funny when I got to the trailer, the credits at the end, and uh, in the special thanks section, uh, you know, it listed probably a bunch of a ton of people a bunch of people's probably you know spouses and friends and industry colleagues and then the last thing on the special thanks section was whoever made the puppet warp tool in photoshop and i was like (laughs) okay yep 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 that's where the animation in this game came from (laughs) yeah but i think you also spend such little time in in interacting with these characters that 
I didn't really care that they weren't like doing more than sort of bouncing or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Um, because yeah, that, and the characters that, didn't really, that it really mattered uh, yeah. were well animated. Like some of the boss characters uh, were mm-hmm. pretty well animated. Um, when you get multi ball and the I love the way the multi-ball works in this game, by the way. Uh, I, I don't know. It's not a spoiler to talk about that, is it? I don't think so. I mean, it's a pinball game. It has multi-ball. Yeah, and- it has multi-ball. The multi-ball works by you you meet up with kind of like a, uh, what do you call that group? They're sort of like a, like a gang that has a bunch of uh, different sized, I guess they're frogs. I'm not even sure. And they're all like tough dudes. And at one point you have to... Oh no! Wait, it wasn't the frogs. It was the uh, it was the the creatures from the underdark. I'm not even sure what a kind of the unders. Yeah. Well, the steam also had multi ball. Yeah, yeah. The sauna. So several. It, it places, comes up a couple times. Several places. Um, a squad of little dudes will come in to help you with your uh, whatever you're doing with your pinball table. Uh, you know, let's say you're fighting a boss. A squad of little dudes will come in to assist you in fighting the boss, and they turn into little balls. They roll into little balls and that's your multi-ball is a whole squad of little dudes has come into the table to, to let you flip them around. I loved it. They were super cute. And every time the multi-ball came up, multi-ball is actually usually very stressful for me in actual pinball. But here I thought it was super cute and fun. Well, yeah, because there's no like there's no stakes. If they fall through, they're just going to come back around. Yeah, you don't so, lose those balls. Yeah, that's the thing with multi-ball. Multi-ball is like, you're trying to hang on as long as you can, like keep the two or three that you have going until like, you know, as for as long as you can. And it's stressful. Yeah, uh, man. My but- pro tip with actual multi-ball is I always try to get like two or three balls, just like tuck them in with one of the uh, paddles and just leave them there and just play with one paddle for a while. That's almost always better <laughs> for me <laughs> in terms of points with multi-ball and, uh, um, you know, here I didn't have to do that. I could just like wail on those balls and fling them everywhere, and it was still super fun. Yeah. So one thing that I think really aligns with the art style is the tone, because the art style's got this kind of kid whimsy silliness tropical vibe, but it's not taking itself as seriously as, say, Ori and the Blind Planet. It doesn't want you to look at the art and say. How lovely. I'm moved by this. It wants you to look at the art. It's kind of like a theme park version of, of an art style where it wants you to kind of just move through and see how silly it is. And yeah, it really it doesn't mind being goofy, which is something that like a lot of video games, particularly, I mean, ga- cheap, ga- games that goofy. aren't made for kids rarely allow themselves to be goofy, you know, mm-hmm. these days, because I think, you know, they, they want to appeal to the adult gamer and they're worried, very concerned about appearing to be kitty or something. But this game is not worried about that. It just allows things to be goofy. This is an, an art style that my all-ages game company would be working their asses off to do for something like, if they got hired, like, say, by Pixar to do a game. Like, everyone would be like, we gotta step it up. It's Pixar. We gotta make it this pretty. But it's still a game for children. That's that's what I keep thinking about with this art style. It's something that is clearly valued and put a lot of work into it, but it's not pretentious. Yeah. It's just fun. It's very pretty, but it's just it's like I would I would absolutely hand this game to a 7-year-old and I would also absolutely hand it to, you know, I don't know, a hardcore gamer cuz it, it I think it'll appeal to literally anyone. Yeah, I agree. I this is it's a delightful experience. I'm really glad that we played this game. I'm also like really kind of surprised that this game has flown so far under the radar. I don't know how well it did, but I didn't hear about this game when it came out. This came out, I think, originally in March, maybe? I Yeah, it came out when I was on my honeymoon, and I think I was reading an article, and I was like, hey, there's a pinball thing, Reagan, but I'm not going to pick it up because I'm in <laughs> Italy. And then I didn't, I, I didn't read a thing about it when I came back, so I assumed it might not have been a, as good of a game as it was. So I'm a little shocked that uh, when I was catching up, that this hadn't gotten more attention. Everywhere I do see it talked about, it's getting like great reviews, nines and nines and you know eights and nines on most websites that do that kind of thing. I I picked it up mainly because I was listening to Retro Knots and they talk. Uh, Jimmy, Jeremy Parrish on there talks endlessly about Metroidvanias. It's sort of his thing. And um, in in one episode, he just sort of offhandedly mentioned that he was playing a pinball Metroidvania. And everyone else on the show was like, what? Huh? That's that's a thing? And he's like, yeah. And it turns out it's really good. And that's pretty much all he said about it. He said, this thing exists. It's called Yoku's Island Adventure. 
uh, or, or express, sorry, God, the title, the title. I, that's the one problem is that I keep wanting to recommend this game to people and I can never remember the title and I have to tell them to Google Yoshi's Island, Dung Beetle, Pinball, <laughs> Metroidvania, Yoku's Island, or pin, just why Pinball I made Metroidvania. Our, our Slack channel for this one is called Island Express because when I was going to write it and I couldn't remember if it was Yoku or Yo- Yori or... Ori, Yozu. Yozu. I think you said yeah. Yozu it's not a couple Yoshi. of times. Uh, I said I've said Island Adventure, and I've yeah. even said Island of Adventure, which I think is a part. This is Lone Far Scales all over again. It's <sighs> yeah, it's Lone Far Sales. It's too many I, words. I, what is it about Scandinavian developers uh, giving their <laughs> their their games these like these like titles that just don't seem to completely work in English? I, it's so not the, call this Mailman Island. Delivery service. I'd be. I'd be better off. The game. The, the title doesn't say anything about what the game is about. It doesn't evoke no. anything about what the game plays like. Like, this is a game that has is high concept enough that you need to just tell people pinball Metroidvania. This is the game that is a you pinball could even Metroidvania. Call it Yoku's Island Pinball, and it would be like, oh, that's weird. At least but it it's is pinball more than in the just title. pinball. Call it pinball I mean, delivery service. Done. Like <laughs> there, you, there's your title. But the game is like tries to be way more like, uh, like I don't know. The, you're it's right. It's like a complete package. They yeah. like they really obviously cared about like the story. They cared about the design. Like they cared everything. about the characters. Yeah, the yeah. fact that it's pinball based is almost incidental. It's you yeah. know it's as far as how like the game kind of presents itself. But because you're right, like we mentioned earlier, it's not like everyone's standing around like golf story saying like, hey, this is. Sure is a pinball island. It's great. Uh, no, it's it, it. So I think that probably they were going for going for that kind of vibe, yeah. and I admire that. And I don't hate the title, but I think that may have contributed to it flying so far under people's radars because it's yeah, it's it's sort of an anonymous sounding title that didn't initially pique my interest just based on the name and the art. While very pretty and accomplished and nice, nice like painterly illustrations also didn't immediately draw me in because it's a picture of like a bug flinging through the air. I don't know. It looks cute, but it doesn't tell me what the game is. Unless you see this in motion in a trailer and see that it is pinball, it's really hard to grasp that this is got that mechanic because most of the world, again, the bumpers just look like little weird flat objects unless they're getting hit. This is something that when we post about the game, I'm going to, you know, try to make sure there's gifts because, Lord, this is not going to fly with static images. It's so hard to explain why this it's game like, works. Like and Mushroom Eleven. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those games that does not make a lick of sense without seeing it in motion. It's it's the feeling of like momentum and constant tiny successes. Um, looking at fun and interesting things. It's just, it's fun the whole time. And I do think it is definitely hard to kind of explain everything, or at least it, you might not be feeling the same sort of like feeling we're talking about when playing it without have ever actually played it. So the fact that they put a demo out there, I think is very self-aware mm-hmm. that they need like players. If you just give it a shot, you're probably going to love it. And we, you know, have found that as well as it sounds like Reagan, you're saying pretty much everyone has reviewed it. As long as you actually play it, you're probably going to love it. Yeah, I wish that that uh, they had a, a demo on Switch. I think Switch is a great platform for this game because I always like playing, you know, pinball games handheld, you know, things like the Pokemon pinball and the Kirby pinball games and all this stuff. Pinball just works well on a handheld. Um but the uh, the rumble and the yeah. uh, the rumble and the um the fact that your right hand does like the right triggers and your left hand does the le- left bumpers and right bumpers uh it it feels so close like you're right there looking at it yeah i don't know if i would have felt as um i don't know if i would have liked this as much trying to play it on a keyboard or something i'm sure that it yeah. can be played that way but uh i would say play this on the switch if you have one and if not uh, it's also out on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Um, and uh, I'm sure those ports are great too. Uh, it looks great in 1080p. When I docked the, the Switch, it looks fantastic on a 1080p TV. So I'm sure it would look great on, on those other consoles too. I think that this is going to be one of the games that I'm really happy I played. I wouldn't have played it without the short game because I probably would have said, eh, for a concept this high concept 
if it doesn't work, I'm out a chunk of change. I think this is going to be one of our kind of gyms that we surface. The weird little games like Pocket Card Jockey that you're like, why would I play this? And then you play yeah. it and you're addicted for 12 hours. So I, I'm really glad we played it um, because often when we do something that's a risk, it's a high concept narrative risk where it's about something dark or silly. We don't tend to do high concept risky games that are just pure fun. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't have we're not sitting here talking about like I don't know that the death scene where you know the the, uh, the we find out about the cancer, you know, <laughs> and that, the agonizing that, choice yeah. where we had to murder somebody. In yeah, their sleep. that felt a little forced. What did the buffalo in the middle of the road? Do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm yeah, not yelling about whether or not it's a male chauvinist fantasy. <laughs> no, it's a dung beetle. It's adorable. It's adorable. It wants to deliver mail. Very cute. It really is right right out of the gates. You're like. I like this. So speaking of pure joy, uh, every week we are doing a segment called What is Making You Happy This Week? So, Laura, what's making you happy this week? I did not finish this game despite loving it because I got horribly addicted to Stardew Valley. Oh, no. The long game. I Well, a long game. And it's uh, for those who are not familiar with the... Widowmaker of games. It is a farming game. Uh, I played a bunch of Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon was hard, and I hated that it ended after two years because I really wanted my farm to be the best it could be. And I was so sad when my farm basically died without me making it into its full potential. Stardew Valley is a long game. It's got a lot of the repetitive manager crops, you know, pet your chickens, milk your cows, go mining, defeat slugs. It's got a lot of weird things to it. But mm-hmm. uh, my husband's been playing a ton of it. Probably the thing saving both of us and our marriage is that we own it on Steam, so one of us can only play it at a time, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it really nice because generally the person not playing either will watch and talk about it or we will um, you know, decide that we're bored and want to do something else. But it's really peaceful. Uh, I've really enjoyed... I didn't think I was going to get into such a time sunk game, which is stupid because I played The Sims a not casual amount in high school. And this is basically Sim Farm. But I really enjoy it. I think that it's funny because I started playing it and about five or six days into it in real time, uh, a podcaster from Pop Culture Happy Hour, Linda Holmes, started playing it. And so suddenly my... Twitter feed that's not about games has all been talking about Stardew Valley. It's mm. going around like TV critic circles and people are missing deadlines because they decided that they needed to go another day in the mine. It's really funny that it's, you know, now I'm getting this Stardew Valley joke, but yeah, I got sucked into a, the most casual long game possible, but it is when you're 27 hours into a game, it is not, it is no longer a casual game. No. Yeah. I have only so that game sounds perfect for games that I like. I, I've played like all of the Harvest Moons. I love those games, and the only reason I haven't started playing Stardew Valley is because I know that I'm going to love it, and I'm going to play just way too much of it. So with the show and the fact that you know we're playing like a new game every week, basically, I have to choose my time sink games like so very carefully. Mm, yeah, uh, and I'm just like not ready to take the plunge into Stardew I- Valley. Part of me wishes I had bought it on the Switch and not on Steam because yeah. it's so tempting uh, freelancing when I'm like, oh, a call was canceled. I could do a day in Stardew Valley. That's 15 minutes. And then oh. you're like, yeah, you know what? I don't need to um, I don't need to call this client back. I can do another <laughs> day. I don't need to go to that conference. I'm not that bad. L- Laura, you're, you're on your way to unemployment is what it sounds like to me. <laughs> no, no. If, if many... My former clients who listen to this, I am not neglecting my duties. <laughs> I'm just neglecting my lunch breaks. That's the mm, problem. Well, just like when I watched all of Steven Universe over lunch breaks, like sometimes you need to like cook a meal and not eat a burrito with one hand while you... Okay, funnily yeah, enough, the thing that I was going to mention farm. as my thing that's making me happy this week is Steven Universe. Season five <laughs> just concluded. So good. And the end of season... I don't really have much to say that it wouldn't be a spoiler for Steven Universe, but I can say that like... If you've ever watched Steven Universe and you might have fallen off of it, it'd be a great time to pick it back up. Season five was phenomenal. 
Um, it, it's, uh, the, the words fan service have uh, taken on the meaning of like being uh, pervy, et cetera. But like, if you just take it to being like a show really trying to know what their fans want and, and deliver on it, uh, this show has done a really good job of, of like taking the longtime Steven Universe fans like me and just saying like, okay, season five is about answering long-term questions uh, and uh, providing the sort of character moments that you want for these characters that you've spent potentially years following. It's just lovely. And the last episode, which was a kind of a double episode, um, which means a 22 whole minutes. Wow. What? Was, and more happens in those 22 minutes than in most, you know, uh, three hour long films guys. But Steven universe's, uh, Season finale is what's making me happy this week. It is so good. It's still one of the best things on television. So if you're not a fan or if you haven't checked out Steven Universe, uh, find a way to watch that show. And uh, if you are a Steven Universe fan but aren't up to date, uh, you have some really good stuff ahead of you. The opening musical number for the finale is kind of my theme song, which is there's a lot of bad stuff happening, but you can find joy in little things. Yes. So... uh, that very paraphrased to not spoil what actually happens in the finale, but it, it is, it is pure joy. I, I also wept just a little, <laughs> like a, just a little, like in a Mr. Rogers way. You're like, Oh yeah. The emotional fulfillment of <laughs> everything, which is dumb to say about a kid's cartoon, but it's such a good kid's cartoon guys. Go watch it. I think we've gotten to the point too, where we can understand that there are, there is media that is intended towards kids that we can all appreciate for multiple reasons. Absolutely. So I don't think we have to do the, it's a kid show, but like caveat as much anymore, unless you're explaining it to someone who's like, I don't know. You're like, Hey grandpa, let me tell you about this <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. the show. But uh, mine's a little different. Uh, I actually went there a couple weeks ago, but uh, I tried a, a new concept um, like bar and restaurant in St. Louis. That was uh, pretty cool. So, St. Louis is a big beer city. Tons of great, uh, great beer city, like local, uh, breweries. And this restaurant I went to is called tapped. Um, and when you go in there and I don't know if I'm assuming this exists in other cities, but this is the first one in St. Louis. Um, you go in there, you give them your credit card and they give you an RFID badge, uh, or I'm sorry, bracelet. And the wall is lined with taps oh. of all St. Louis beer. Um, and below the taps are just racks and racks and racks of glasses, uh, taster glasses and pint glasses. And you go up, you scan your RFID, which is tied to your account. And then you can pour your own beer. Um, and it charges you per the ounce. And you see, you see how many, uh, it'll, you'll see how many ounces you're pouring, how much it's going to cost you. And then, you know, so you can try like, and it's like 50, it's like 35 to 50 cents an ounce. So, you know, it adds up to like six bucks a beer or so. So it's really around the same price as if you're getting it like poured for you at a bar. Um, Cause these are, you know, nicer beers usually. Uh, and it was just really cool. I think I tried like eight different beers. Cause you could just do like little two ounce pulls. Um, and it was really good food too. So if there's something like that in your town, I was a little skeptical at first, um, but it, it was a lot of fun and I got to try a lot of different beer without having to go, to like a bartender and constantly be like, um, can I taste the, uh, the cherry, the sour, you know, and that whole like experience that you have to do every time. So it's cool. And that was making me happy. All right. And this episode of the short game has also made me very happy. So thank you guys for joining me on this episode of the short game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find all of our past episodes, a searchable show notes page, which we've recently made a little easier to search. Go check it out. If you want to search for a game by title or anything like that, you'll find we have covered a lot of stuff over the last five years. Uh, four and a half. Um, if you have a game that we haven't covered that you think we ought to cover, something fun that is short, uh, you can find a contact form on the website, www.theshortgame.net, or you can email us at info at theshortgame.net, or you can find us on Twitter at underscore shortgame. And you can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Nate, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nate STL. And um, I also just want to say, like, reiterate what uh, Reagan has said. Some of the best games we've come from, we've covered on this show have come from uh, listener uh, suggestions. And we 
write down every single one that comes in and most suggestions at some point ultimately get played so really we would love to hear uh more from you all because we've gotten some great stuff absolutely and of course uh if you have a moment leave us a review on itunes Uh, we haven't had one in a little while a couple of weeks now and uh those are the best way to support the show we don't do a patreon uh we don't do ads or anything this is all just out of love of the podcast and the thing that would uh, pay us back the most if you enjoy the show is telling a friend or recommending the show so if you have a moment leave us a review on itunes tell a friend uh you know steal your spouse or significant other or grandparents phone and subscribe to the podcast on that we would love that too maybe they'll <laughs> like it and uh laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and thank you so much to everyone for joining us on this episode of the short Game.